0: Welcome to the 5G Territory Podcast, where we will explore the hottest topics in 5G with some of the industry's leading minds. Are you ready? OTT regulation, the future of connectivity in the EU, because technology sometimes uh, is already there. But then we are asking some questions on regulations, rules and laws and suddenly we see that it's much more complicated than just the technology. So, let's see. There may not have been a single debate during 2022 that has been raging hotter than OTT regulation. So, so many questions to ask and answers to look for. The arguments range from a lack of regulatory clarity to the sustainability of current business models. What are they? Then questioning uh, if services can be considered networks, because who has all the quotas and datas, and as well as the moral dilemma of what is considered fair and unfair in business. All these questions on this discussion panel. This very hard job will be taken on by Vice President and Principal Analyst of Networking and Security for more insights and strategy. Also a contributor of Forbes, and please welcome moderator, Will Townsend.
1: Thank you, Val. It's always tough going on right after lunch, and uh, you know, people tend to fall asleep. And I'm an American, so it's about 5 a.m. my time, so I'll do my best there. But this is going to be a very, I think, uh, provocative discussion. We have representation from all the different parties involved. Um, certainly, this isn't just an EU Discussion from my perspective, it's a global consideration as well. And so before we jump into the topics, I do want to allow our panelists to spend some time, introduce themselves, provide an overview of what they do and their focus. Before we do that, let me start. Um, as Val mentioned, my name is Will Townsend. I manage the uh, networking and security practices for a technology analyst firm called Moore Insights and Strategy. Uh, we're based in the States, been around for about 10 years. And um, I'm very passionate about connectivity. In fact, I'm working on my first book. The working title is The Human Network, and it's focused on the digital divide. I'm traveling to four different parts of the world and spending time with infrastructure providers and what they're doing to drive inclusion, sustainability, and economic prosperity for for folks all around the world. So, but with that, I'd like to start with our online participants. Marit, why don't we start with you, and can you provide a brief introduction and in what you're focused on?
2: Yes. Hello, everybody. I hope you hear me well. And um, we do. so, uh, so glad to be able to take part, even if if only online. So, my name is Marit Balavirta, senior director of regulatory affairs from Etno. And for those of you who don't know us, so Etno is um, the trade association representing the largest telecom operators in Europe. And uh, just to give you an idea, in terms of investment, so our members um, invest about 70% of all fixed and mobile uh, investments across the European market. So there you go, Will. Thank you, Marie. Look forward to the discussion.
1: Thank you. It's going to be a great discussion. Daniel, you're up next.
3: Thank you, Uh, I'm really sorry not to to be with you today. I absolutely uh, adore um, Riga and the whole Baltics and it's such a wonderful time in winter to be there as someone from Canada and Switzerland. But um, uh, I run Sky's uh, EU office in European affairs in in Brussels. Sky is obviously a telecom company, a technology company, a content company, a distributor, and a streamer and broadcaster, but I'm here today on behalf of the European VOD Coalition, so representing uh, the streaming sector in Europe and the VOD Coalition membership covers uh, a lot of the global, regional, uh, and local players, and it's to really talk about the streaming sector. And while I'm at it, just a small plug, uh, because Sky, about to launch um, in the Baltics as a joint venture with Sky Showtime with NBCU and Paramount, so very soon you'll actually also be able to see what we do directly, and it's also relevant for for this debate uh, because it's one of the services that may end up being uh, being in scope. So thank you very much. Thanks,
1: Daniel. Apparently you're an F1 driver as well, it looks like. <laughs> and Philip.
4: Yes, hi everybody. Again, I hope you can hear me loud and clear. Uh, my name is Philip Malik. Uh I am Director of Economic Policy at Meta. Um, all the services you know that we Offer as a company, Facebook, uh, WhatsApp, Instagram, and also now with our um, progression into the Metaverse as well and our Quest products as, as, as we move forward. Um, as I say, I'm director of economic policy, so I have a lot of focus on types of economic regulation, um, uh, mainly focused in Europe, um, but also now looking wider, of course, in, into some other areas. Um, before I joined Meta, I spent 15 years in the telecoms industry, a former colleague of Marit as well, um, I spent nearly uh, eight years on the board of Etno, and two of them as the chairman of the board as well. So uh, this is a topic which has um, uh, an air of familiarity Thanks.
1: Thanks, Philip. And last but not least, Yuris, why don't you introduce yourself? And I understand you have a few slides you'd like to review as well.
5: Yeah. Thank you, Will. Uh, my name is Juris Binde. Uh, I'm uh, president and CEO of uh, Latvian Mobile Telephone Company, the leading uh, mobile operator in Latvia. We are operating for more than 30 years. I'm uh, also a professor of uh, Widzim's University of Applied Sciences, uh, working on uh, uh, social technological modeling uh, for different uh, purposes. In my previous life, I started as an engineer in the manufacturing in the radio electronic equipment production. Therefore, I have a quite a quite broad experience uh, in in different areas. Uh, for the today's discussions, uh, I uh, prepared uh, some visualization visualization for uh, uh, for the topic, uh, and because it's uh, always. Uh, easier to understand the problem if you are uh, showing the structure and showing the interconnection between, uh, 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 eleme- between different elements of this uh, system. So in fact uh, the current problem what we are discussing is uh, uh, discussions about the ecosystem. The ecosystem which consists of uh, three main parts. These are, first of all, end users, our customers who are using everything what is available from the virtual environment. There are uh, telco operators who are devel- delivering uh, uh, and creating the environment uh, uh, in order to deliver the, uh, this, any content to the end user. And there are uh, OTTs, uh, the source of uh, information, source of content. Uh, And uh, they are selling uh, their uh, uh, products through the network. So uh, at the same time, there are several uh, flows in this system. Uh, One of the flows is uh, content flow, which is moving uh, from OTTs uh, through network to the end-users. The second flow is uh, cash flow, which is uh, going from end-users who are, in most cases, are uh, making the payments for the content, Uh, in some cases is directly to OTTs, in some cases uh, they are using telco operators for the transit and OTTs are receiving this money. The main uh, cash flow is uh, basically between these two uh, elements. Uh, At the same time, the telco operators have to invest a lot of uh, money in order to keep uh, the uh, technological environment in a good uh, quality, in a good capacity, Uh, in order to ensure the transmission speeds uh, and all other uh, technical parameters. Uh, But the cash flow is, uh, in most cases, is passing operators. Or, if not passing, then a very, very small part of the commission is falling into the development. And this is a problem uh, which has to be solved because in the uh, future, if this uh, kind of uh, business model will continue, uh, the telco operators will not uh, a- be able to invest uh, in us uh, capital investments into the network and technology development, uh, which will be resulted is in the into the decrease of uh, quality of uh, the services for both uh, OTTs which uh, for whom it will be very difficult to deliver uh, their content in the good quality, and also end users will be not satisfied because they will not receive the uh, product or or services what they are expecting. Uh, Therefore, uh, in order to keep this uh, uh, infrastructure in the good shape, we need uh, to Uh, change the business model and we see on these graphs that the uh, calculated average growth rate during six years increased uh, for the traffic by uh, 23%. It's a huge volume uh, which is uh, basically not seen but which requires a lot of investments in order to keep the necessary quality. And approximately 50%, even more, slightly more, uh, uh, of this traffic is uh, generated by the OTTs. Uh, we have to live with uh, this ecosystem if we want uh, uh, want to uh, have a, a good quality. And uh, if we we are res- uh, will res- uh, destroy this ecosystem with a wrong business model. Uh, most probably we will also destroy ourselves. And there is also another example that the destroying of the rainforest for economic gain is like a burning a renaissance painting to cook the meal. (laughs) So uh, therefore uh, one more element which is in this ecosystem is the regulatory environment Uh, and uh, it's very much uh, depending on the smart decisions and balanced decisions in order to keep this ecosystem alive and developing.
1: Thanks. Thank you, yours Thank you. And th- that's a nice segue into the first topic that we're going to discuss. Let me also mention, too, that during the course of our panel, if you have any questions, I believe there's a mechanism for you to submit that, and Val's going to... Um, moderate that, and hopefully we'll have about 10 minutes or so uh, towards the end of our session to, to answer those. But, you know, in euros, you know, um, there's no doubt that, you know, the mobile network operators spend billions of dollars, billions of euros, on both investing in the infrastructure and the license spectrum to deploy, as an example, next generation networks like 5G. Um, and so the the challenge really is how to balance that investment, allow the you know, mobile network operators to be able to recoup that investment, monetize that investment, while allowing the OTTs to continue what they do best, uh, which is innovating new services and that sort of thing. But there, there definitely need, there needs to be a balance there. So what I'd like to do, Murray, l- let me hand the uh, virtual mic over to you and would love to hear your perspective on, you know, yours did a pretty pretty good job of kind of describing LMT's perspective. But would love to get your perspective on this, on the general problem to be solved.
2: All right, thanks very much. Um, so indeed, I think Euris gave a good overview of the of the digital ecosystem or the connectivity ecosystem, if you like, so I will not uh, repeat that. But I mean, what we see, maybe by way of background, what we see is that there are kind of few different parallel dynamics that are currently, well, that have been ongoing in the digital ecosystem in Europe for a while now. and. One certainly is the data traffic volumes and the exponential increase of these traffic volumes that we don't really see the end of. And of course, it is also clear, as also Joris mentioned, that the traffic seems to be more and more concentrated, coming to to, to a few global content generators. And then if you look at the the way that the traffic is rooted in the networks and, and the way that it kind of comes from the international Uh, connectivity infrastructure towards the national markets in Europe, we do see also that there is some asymmetry in the IP interconnection practices. So so these have typically been uh, commercial negotiations, especially when it's it's, um, peering agreements between larger players, larger companies such as operators and also the larger content providers. But we do see that there is unbalance in the negotiation power and certainly, um, this is becoming then an issue when telecom operators need to all the time, of course, invest and expand and redimension their networks to accommodate the increasing data traffic. And also, as yuris mentioned, that there is um, a kind of a shift in the role of the content generators as well. So we are seeing now the um, emergence of proprietary infrastructures, such as the CDNs and caches, appearing also in the European markets, which, of course, allows these players to bring their services closer to the end user's location. But there we start then having the question as well that, well, you know, maybe these companies are no longer just the mere kind of internet end user as they've been largely considered to be, but perhaps they should also be then considered clearly as an ISP's customer. And and finally, maybe to, to raise also the regulatory asymmetry. So many of you know that ISP's, our sector, is still subject to intrusive regulatory framework and this includes elements of pricing, uh, competition policy, open internet regulations, et cetera. And we do not see, of course, the same kind of restraint to innovation and investment um, on the content generators. And, and just to be clear, we are not even calling for this kind of same kind of restraint, but just to just to share with you that there is clearly an asymmetry there. So then if you think about it, that well, what does this mean for us, the ISPs? Well, The data traffic as such, of course, is a good thing. We want more data and services and applications out there. And yes, it is part of the operator's job to deliver this to the end user. But then when you add this kind of commercial asymmetry that we perceive and also the regulatory asymmetry, it doesn't really seem fair from our perspective. So really, we see that some of the large content generators are extracting enormous value from the the internet, internet connectivity, which is which is pretty much free for them to use and and can even then complement this through multi-sided business models whereas the traditional telecommunications sector and the business model that is prevailing doesn't really allow us to monetize the investments that our members are making in the networks so this is where then you know we believe that maybe there's uh, this is the good moment to start exploring new business models and how does all of this add up when we are talk of, talking about the larger connectivity ecosystem, but also then all the political targets that we have specifically in Europe. So the digital decade targets and, and all these other good things. So I hope that that gave you a bit of a flavor from our side where we are with this. It certainly does,
1: Murray. And you know, from my perspective, you know, you kind of talk about what I, the analogy I use, the David and Goliath, right? And you know, and you know, we're gonna we're gonna shift Philip to you and, and talk about Meta in a moment, but I think you know regulation can bring that balance. But so Philip would love to hear from your perspective, from Meta's perspective, uh, how you weigh in here.
4: Yeah, thanks. Will. I mean, if if I can, I mean, I'll, I'll just start with with two or three um, initial points. I, I think we've heard from Mara and from from URI some some quite broad. and and relatively sort of um, unspecified problem statements about sort of sustainability of the ecosystem and these other things. Um, I think, you know, in our view, this is clearly a symbiotic uh, ecosystem in that content and application providers provide the services which telco customers, ISP's customers, wish to consume. it is their decision to go out and consume these these products and services. And I think one thing missing from Eurus' slide and conversation also is that these customers pay a subscription fee to these services as well, in which they are then a subscriber. And it does generate um, significant revenue for European telecoms operators as the business model um, to charge end users for their uh, either mobile or fixed broadband connections. Um, Also, we noticed quite a a strengthening of a lot of European telecom's financial results in the last few quarters. Um, GSMA's own uh, uh, recent study, which is the um, uh, Mobile Outlook Report, also referenced that they're seeing trends which they refer to, for example, as price firming, uh, which means that the the prices of European telecom services in some cases are stabilising, if not going up in some areas as well. So I think the kind of doomsday scenario sometimes that is played out here is not exactly the clearest picture to be basing a lot of these uh, assumptions on, Uh, you know, and on the symbiotic relationship that exists here, I mean, let's be honest here, no one pays for a 5G connection to see the logo set in the top corner of their phone, (laughs) they don't pay for a fiber connection at home to have the flashing light go faster on the router. They pay for it because companies like Daniels, for example, offer very innovative ways of consuming video content. They pay yeah. for it because they like to use Instagram and other ones. So the fact is, for me, example, living here in Brussels, I mean, I've just had a recent conversation with Proximus about upgrading to fiber at my home. The entire upsell is based on my ability to stream Disney+. Plus. That is the case being made as to why you would invest or you would pay a higher subscription fee for telecom services and we see that case across europe as well a lot of collaboration between operators such as vodafone as well with things like youtube premium amazon prime so there is this symbiotic relationship which drives the ecosystem as we say forward in many ways and also as i say from spending a number of years in the in the industry myself along you know looking at latvia for example as a market as well um i, I have not worked in there for a few years but i, I have been surprised by the Uh, view that the the situation of the industry has accelerated so rapidly over the last three years to be in such a poor place, Um, that such a significant intervention as this would be one which would resolve some of the issues at hand. I mean, I I think we fully accept that there is issues in the European telecoms market, be that, as you mentioned, Will, uh, spectrum licensing issues, which have been around for as long as I've been around, probably. Um, issues around the rollout of fiber infrastructure. Can we get better in terms of reducing the cost in terms of running out fiber infrastructure? And these kinds of issues which are all abound, which will probably have a more impactful development on the European telecom sector, that it will be pursuing some of these measures. Um, I, I think to pick up on one of Mari's points as well, absolutely, um, companies like Meta and other digital companies do invest significantly in infrastructure and in Europe to ensure that quality to end users um, and also to ensure that we make the uh, the load on operators networks and what something's manageable. Mm-hmm. We continue to innovate in the space as well. Meta has just released from its um, AI research center a new codec which compresses uh, MP3 voice, for example. That's a 10 times compression based on what's there today. And we have released that open source as well. So this continues to be an evolution of our innovation, especially around network technology, because it makes sense for everybody to have more efficient networks and more efficient services because you're correct. People are consuming more more high-quality services. Analysis Mason just pointed that between 2011 and 2021, content application providers in Europe invested 183 billion euros in the development of, of, of digital infrastructure in Europe. This is a significant investment, not just for our own purpose as well. This delivers enormous savings also for European telecoms operators, approaching a billion euros for European ISPs. And also, as Marek mentioned as well, we we, we cash a lot of services. We have numerous caches there in Latvia as well, also to make the service more efficient for Latvian users. Um, And so I think this is very much a symbiotic relationship, which has evolved positively delivering strong consumer welfare benefits over uh, a significant period of time. Um, I'll just reference us back to to the European regulators as well. I think BEREC recently was pretty emphatic um, in its view on the assessment of the problem statement here. I think we often get told that this was the wrong questions and it was the wrong answers, but their analysis of the situation, that there is no free rider problem in the EU markets, was pretty clear, I think. And and I think that's just another organisation which has pointed to this fact. I'll just end on a final note as well, because Marek did mention the EU's Digital Decade Goals. Uh, absolutely, the Digital Decade Goals have um, pretty extensive and very ambitious goals when it comes to connectivity. Um, they also have a number of other goals, which are hugely important. Mm-hmm. Should never shouldn't be forgotten in this context around cloud take-up. Um, it's around the digitalization of small businesses in Europe as well. So from our perspective, adding some kind of tax levy fee or cost into this environment would probably be not so wise if you're looking at that side of the equation as well. Um, so um well I'll just leave my comments there, but very yeah. happy to engage in the debate and go forward.
1: No great great perspective there, Philip. And you know I'll also mention kudos to Facebook and its early involvement with the Telecom infra project and what Facebook was doing to help bridge the digital divide, which is a very passionate um, you know topic um, that's on my mind and one of the reasons why i'm I'm writing that book but daniel let let's let's move to you and allow you to weigh in here. I think Philip made a really good point um, people don't subscribe for five g services because it's the next g it's about content and and what you do has revolutionized the way that that we consume content
3: that's right, and to be honest i've actually never seen five g on my phone and and so far i've actually been just fine but uh, I do look forward to it uh, so yes yeah, so if you look at the streaming sector we would always have used the example of the cooperation between uh, content um, and internet service providers mobile operators uh, as, as a big success story because we have worked together people take uh, the connections to view their content like like I do i'm a, i'm a, I would, I'm what you'd call a super consumer, so I have seven different uh, streaming subscriptions and a huge uh, monthly um, uh, internet bill, which I'm happy to pay. Um, That's also why often our uh, streaming services are are bundled uh, with your telecom subscription, because there's such a strong uh, link. Um, But I think, you know, we we still haven't actually gotten to, to the problem, because if it's about commercial asymmetry, most of the VOD coalition members negotiating with the telecom incumbents and they are a fraction of the size of the telecom incumbents they pay for the peering they pay for the interconnection and on top of that almost every single uh, coalition member is investing uh, in the cdns and caching to deliver the content directly uh, to our consumers in a way that is both beneficial to the consumers and to the networks so i i'm still to be honest not completely clear on what the problem is because commercial asymmetry would be more competition law, more DMA, um, an imbalance of power. Uh, we're focusing on maybe a few of the global companies that are really, really, really big. But then if Marit is talking about national level, a lot of the streaming companies uh, and a lot of other companies in other sectors are actually uh, responsible for quite a bit of the streaming compared to some of the other companies. And so our problem is very loosely defined. I'm not sure what the problem is. barrack was very clear as as, as Phil said, that that there's no free riding. Um, And the wider you take it, the more unclear it is. You know, what is an OTT for this debate? Is it just, uh, you know, a couple of the big global companies um, that we're all customers of? Uh, Is it streaming? Is it social media? Um, A lot of these companies, like a lot of the VOD coalition members, are investing so much uh, already. So I do think that... Uh, There has been a lot of growth the past few years, but it's also clear that that growth is not ever going to be at that level again and that nothing that we've seen so far from any of the studies has shown how uh, creating some new fee or tax or basically what is a a cross-subsidization of one part of the Internet ecosystem for another um, is going to help meet any of the targets. What it sounds like more is that you're trying to tax the future to pay for the past, as someone else said. Uh, and we still don't quite understand, as a streaming sector, uh, why that would be, when, uh, you know, in many cases, a lot of the investment isn't about traffic, it's about the initial investment in things. A lot of the companies that are asking for, for, for new money have also put out absolutely glowing uh, shareholder reports look, stating that investment in new infrastructure is happening as fast as possible. Money is not the issue hence why dividends should be so large to the shareholders uh, on the telecom side so again the problematic is is where i struggle a little bit uh, because what 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 i worry about what the streaming sector worries about to be honest is that we we create some some new tax or fees or this this whole sending party pays issue we've seen that in south korea it's been absolutely disastrous uh, there's absolutely no benefit there uh, and our worry ultimately in a time of economic crisis for consumers um, is that the consumer will pay. So if if you're having to pay uh, additional fees through a cloud provider that you're using, if you're having to pay because people are are using your service, if you're having to pay um, because you've invested in in a CDN and now the CDN has to pay as well, and then you're already paying for your subscription and you're already paying for a very high uh, bandwidth connection, then the, then the consumer is basically going to end up quintuple paying for the same thing that they have today for no benefit and if we do that then then companies like 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 the streaming companies that offer subscription services that are quite easy to change compared to a telecom subscription um will end up suffering immensely and and then the whole ecosystem will start to crumble because if you have uh you know less content less uh, subscriptions then why would you get uh your 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 high bandwidth connection and so I think that the argument is actually going in the other way and and I almost jokingly want to say that it should be the incumbents that pay us content companies for our Mm -hmm. content because once you get into this debate it can go in almost any any direction Uh, and ultimately what we want is is we we do not want the consumers uh, to suffer and we just don't actually see a problem because things work and companies are already paying when it's needed. Um, and, and, you know, I'd, I'd really like to discuss who would qualify, how it would work a little bit, because we just don't see a sustainable way to create this, um, especially um, if you look at how complex the system is, um, how to actually tell whose content is whose without going into some fairly intrusive monitoring of content that I don't think anyone uh, would want. Uh, i 'll stop there. I hope i've thrown out a few interesting and, and provocative questions <laughs> to to both the other speakers and the
1: You certainly have accomplished that Daniel so um, you know I think from my perspective, as I sort of look at this broadly um, there, there are concerns around these new application loads um, that not only the mobile network operators are potentially putting on the on the networks but also new services that um, the mobile network operators are delivering. I mean, certainly private networking, especially in the enterprise for uh, manufacturing automation is huge. We will get to network slicing, but you know five g has you know tremendous superpowers with ultra low latency, with massive device support, with increased security. That's really going to unlock and unbirth a whole set of, of use cases. But I think we've all sort of you know discussed that there there are things that are being put in place content delivery networks, caching to ensure that we don't overload um, these next generation networks that the LMTs of the world are building. But with that said, I really want to get in, because as we get into the, the last 10 minutes of, of the panel, I want to talk about the regulatory role. And you know, from, from my perspective, and this is a US statement, typically when the federal government across the pond would get involved, it would mire things down. But I'm wondering, is there a way that we can approach this through regulation that actually can spur and drive innovation? In Eurus, I'd like to start with you on that.
5: Uh, Yeah, of course, uh, the regulation uh, is a very important issue, but uh, I would like to touch a little bit uh, on the technological issues which uh, were started. Uh, And uh, first of all, the uh, uh, customer charging is uh, more and more shifting from the monthly fees to the flat rate it means that uh, there are not so big uh, variable to, uh, costs for the network if the network is built and it doesn't matter uh, how much bytes you are sending over the network of course there is a, another limitation is a, a congestion and uh, coming back to this pandemic issue uh, in Latvia, our uh, networks are with a quite good capacity reserve. And during the pandemics, we survived very well and many of activities were switched to the virtual environment uh, and uh, it works very well. However, I know that in many countries it was a complete disaster and um, many economical issues were, uh, were practically stopped uh, another issue is that uh, 5G is basically an uh, industrial network. Therefore, uh, expectations that 5G will be mainly used for the OTTs, network, and content providing, providing uh, are not so, so well grounded. Because uh, you already mentioned these technological features like network slicing, private networks, and so on. If the big enterprises will order the uh, private network on the 5G technology, most probably the operators will spend their efforts on this issue in order to get money f- directly from the customer, uh, corp- big corporate customer, neither uh, to try to develop uh, consumers market where the OTTs are uh, delivering their content. Therefore it will be regulated not by the external some regulator but it will be regulated by the market market, dynamic. market dynamics market dynamic. and market dynamics will directly show the corporate direction
1: yeah good point daniel you you touched on something it's like where do, how do you even define an uh, ott right i mean so i think before you can go to the next step and even entertain you know some sort of regulation you've got you've got to define that so what what else do you think about you know beyond beyond that which is a huge that's a huge thing you have to get over right I mean are there any other considerations where may, maybe some balance of regulation could could spur innovation and to Marit's point you know kind of level the playing field you know between the the Goliaths and the Davids of the world
3: Yeah I mean it's it's a really good question and I mean the the, the key point that I'd say and this is you know for the VOD sector but for almost any company is we we all need and want and support a strong telecom sector in Europe. That's very, very clear. And we're actually looking into all kinds of other ways that we can help support uh, the sector, uh, including regulatory ways, because it is heavily regulated. And maybe there are some some ways to liberalize a little bit, to give a little bit of extra help uh, to the sector. What we think is dangerous is if you use regulation to sort of pick favorites and to have one part of the sector pay for another in in what is, in essence, almost an artificial way to to boost a part or to penalize a part. Um, If it is done just looking at the really, really big ones, then I worry, frankly, this is a personal point, but I worry that it'll start a trade war, uh, which no one wants. Um, And then if you start getting down into the the detail, then you you end up having uh, problems around scope, around how you actually check uh, and, you know, regulation should not be going into telling then people um, to, for payment purposes, to to be monitoring uh, so, some of these things. Um, I would say, however, on congestion and on regulation, one of the things that we've seen from the content side for many years uh, is that a lot of the congestion on the networks is also linked to piracy of content. Um, so one way to deal with it with regulation is in many countries, peak hours, 30% or so of content uh, of content. Uh, of traffic is piracy. If you tackle piracy through regulation, maybe you remove some of your congestion problem. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that is one thing. Uh, but there are ways to give some regulatory relief to the telecom sector that does not then hurt the rest of the internet ecosystem. And we will be very supportive of any of those ways that then have a net positive for everyone because that's what I think we should all be be looking at.
1: I agree. Um, so as we begin to close, Marit, um, final thoughts on this subject?
2: Yes, absolutely. So I think 5G, I mean, uh, it's 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 a great enabler for new services and applications, um, but but one thing remains the same, that it will require uh, investment to make sure that our networks are resilient and, and adaptable to the new traffic and, and all these new services. And when we talk about 5G, we should also bear in mind, of course, that 5G implies, um, let's say, convergence between mobile and fixed worlds. So there is when you have 5G, you will always need also the fiber backhaul. So we should really consider this as as a rather a connectivity ecosystem. And if you then also add let's say virtualization of networks there and and the edge cloud developments that we are seeing now to start happening i think there's also room for other players and we've certainly seen also content providers entering already the space of connectivity based on the edge cloud and starting to provide connectivity solutions uh based on 5g so i think that's there are lots of opportunities in 5g for of course operators but also for other large uh, stakeholders in the connectivity sphere. And when we talk about regulation, so we should really take into account the full ecosystem and think about what is there today, what is the future, and does it all play out well in the connectivity ecosystem? Is it a balanced way? Does, does everybody you know, have a kind of sustainable business model there? Of course, you know, it's, it's a free world, so we don't need to regulate that to death, but we should make sure that in the ecosystem every player has a has a let's say level level playing field so that we can then continue to develop this together going forward
1: yeah and you make an excellent point you know fiber is really requisite for that backhaul for those mobile 5g services and at least in the us what we're seeing emerge as the killer 5g use case uh, at least for consumer is fixed wireless access and who would have thought you know given that but as we close, um, Philip, would love to hear your thoughts here.
4: Yeah, yeah, thank you very much, Will. Uh, and I'll try to be brief because I know we're coming towards the end. Uh, I, I think Europe's investment in fiber, especially very high capacity networks, has actually been moving on great guns. I think the European Electronic Communications Code brought in a huge swathe of alternative investors into the market as well, and that's really driven fiber investment across Europe. I think Eurus made a really, really important point here about industrial use cases. I mean, I think... As we look for the future and anything like sort of for automated driving for example a recent study by siemens um points to the fact that an auto- a, an autonomous vehicle could be producing as much as 1.4 terabytes of data every hour <laughs> and so if we're really looking to the future and the sustainability of networks it would probably be wise to have other companies around the table discussing this given that as yours pointed to there is a strong industrial case for growth but I just don't think it'd be enormously politically expedient to be asking large European industrial players to pay for telecoms networks as well. So uh, I think, you know, perhaps that limits where where we can go. On the regulation side, big agreement with Daniel. I think the European telecom sector... Um, there is obviously clear and quite heavy regulation. I disagree strongly with the fact that there's, a, there's an imbalance in the regulatory playing field. I think when we look at the recent DMA and DSA regulation, that's a very extensive regulatory rule book that will lay over the digital ecosystem in Europe. Um, I don't think there is this imbalance in the ecosystem that's been pointed to in terms of regulatory oversight. Um, and I think that's an important thing to keep in mind. When we look at this, this discussion if we're, if we're relying on this notion of imbalance. Um, but, yeah, I'd be very happy to discuss further in another occasion about how we can look at the evolution of European telecoms regulation um, to 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 move us forward in this debate in this discussion, because I feel we're kind of, as Daniel pointed to in the problem statement, a bit of an impasse here.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think we could talk about this for probably the next three or four hours if we wanted to, right? <laughs> but um, with that, I want to thank all of the panelists. This has been a great conversation very provocative, I think we've heard lots of different perspectives here, um, and it's been really, really insightful for, for me personally. So, Val, I wanna, I wanna hand it back over to you. Uh, do we have any questions from the online and offline audiences?
0: Yeah, we have, as you can see, but before you go with the question, uh, or two, as we can see here in the audience, there's a poll on the platform which asks, uh, should the most traffic-intensive platforms contribute to network infrastructural costs? Costs. So that's the question also for the audience, not only for the panelists to discuss, as we've heard already, which was the most intensive part of the discussion. <laughs> so there's only two ways to go. It's yes or no. Should the most traffic-intensive platforms contribute to network infrastructure costs? And once you have voted, you will see the result at the moment. So let's have a question. I right. think... Uh, I th- I think you okay. dropped, yeah. dropped the virtual mic uh, on that one. I'll, 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 this is Dean Bubbly again.
4: Um, I'll give it actually a question. I believe that our video participants are logged in via the platform on Zoom, which is a customer of AWS. Who is generating the traffic? Is it Zoom? Is it Amazon? Is it the 5G territory organizers? Or is it the speakers, including Etno? Who who's, who's responsible for the traffic?
1: All right. That's a very good question. Um, I think Daniel has raised his hand.
3: Yes, and it's a fantastic question. It goes back to what I was trying to say about understanding the, the problematic. I, that's exactly the point. So how do you tell? And how do you tell without perhaps doing deep packet inspection? Um, and, you know, how do you figure out who's going to try to pass it on and how many people are going to try to pass on fees to whom. Uh, And and that is why um, we really need to have such a clear, uh, well, impact assessment into all the options, into the technological feasibility of this. Um, Because I I, I completely agree with with this uh, question. You create such a complicated situation, probably huge costs uh, for everyone. And I still don't quite see then what, what the benefit would be. And, and the reality is, you know, even if you limit any, any kind of proposal to only a few really big companies, everyone is a client of those companies. All the other B2B relationships, you, you trickle down into that question with literally every use um, of, of, of the online ecosystem. So that is a great question. Uh, but the reality is, I don't think anyone's come close uh, to an answer.
1: I'll open that up to the uh, the other panelists. Um, any further comment? Okay, Marie, why don't we, why don't we go to you?
2: Yeah, but just, just to say that indeed it's an ecosystem, and I think that's why I also mentioned the word connectivity ecosystem, digital ecosystem, many times because it's not, and we shouldn't be looking at who is the responsible here. I don't think we, we are even looking for a guilty party. We're looking for a solution. Mm-hmm. We're looking for a solution so that we could have a balanced ecosystem in, in, in Europe that Indeed, I think the main the end beneficiaries, they should be, of course, the first priority to have good content and connectivity mm-hmm. to the end user. But we need to have an ecosystem around it that actually works then for those stakeholders who are part of that ecosystem. And um, I do agree that work needs to go into analyzing the bigger picture, as I already said. And I think that, well, BEREC uh, put out a report we thought that that was rather looking at the current situation and the past, rather than then trying to uh, forecast and project into the future. Yeah, sure. What do we what do we expect in the in the five to ten years? Yeah. We have connectivity targets in the five to ten years, so we need to kind of project into the future and do some thinking there. Not saying it's an easy easy task, but I think that we need to continue on this track, and as also Philip said, we need to continue discussing this issue.
1: Sure. I think Philip, you wanted to weigh in as well.
4: Yeah, um, thanks, Dean. I think it's a really uh, important question to try and understand that type of dynamic that goes on in the market. I mean, I chose to be here today, right, because this is important to me and I get a lot of value from discussing and debating with everybody here today. So I'd say I'm responsible for my decision to log on Zoom and, and dial into the service today and, and make my points heard. So um I think as our previous speakers told, how do you attribute varieties or, or slices or, or percentages of that? Who knows? And I think consultants may spend years trying to demystify these types of things. Um, but yeah, let's let's put it as it is. Most of these services that are being used throughout Europe is the consumers who are driving that through their demand to utilize these services.
1: Well, with that, I think we're uh, at our time, Val.
0: Yeah, just uh, if suddenly there is anything left to add to Oscar's question, uh, are there any considerations when building infrastructure financing models that would facilitate development, operation of networks in a sustainable way? Are there any considerations when uh, we are building these infrastructure uh, financing models? Uh, Anything to add on this if you, I mean,
5: get the idea?
1: Um, I don't, but Joris, do you have any final thoughts (coughs) there?
5: In fact, uh, we have to divide uh, two technologies. One is for the fixed networks, another one for the mobile networks because the f- physical nature of these two networks is completely different. And we also have to consider the social component because uh, people more and more are using uh, 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 smart devices to uh, receive the content and to watch or to listen or whatever they are uh, doing uh, on the free move. And it's it's a huge difference between the fixed uh, network when uh, the TV set is like a fireplace for the tribe which, when, uh, when uh, everybody from the family are gathering together, mm-hmm. and the individual smart devices which are used uh, at any time, everywhere, and from the different sources. Therefore, the congestion of the mobile networks is much more uh, a complicated, uh, problem because the uh, technological and physical uh, limitations for the mobile network are. Uh, um, they are very realistic. We can cannot uh, ignore physical uh, rules of physics. And the uh, frequency range band and uh, other issues, they are putting the limits. And if we want to increase the capacity in one area, we have to uh, put extra uh, base stations with the extra frequencies uh, to use uh, frequency uh, allocation and uh, And other technologies, in order to to make this environment wide enough, if there is a a congestion of the people, at the same time, they are creating the congestion in the network. So, it's quite, quite complicated social technological issue. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, and I think all the panelists spoke to this. It's about ecosystem and cooperation and balance. And... um, you know, I think you know, the future is very bright, but we've got to continue moving in that direction. So with that, Val, I think
0: uh, we're wrapped up. Yeah, thank you, panelists, and thank you, Will. Thank you.